Hello, guys. Welcome to Almost 30 Podcast. What's up? Welcome, everybody. What's up with you? How are you? Do you ever experience when you can't really move your... Okay, this sounds funny. Weird. When you can't really like move your face in a motion, mm. where you kind of feel... After that latest Botox. <laughs> no, I knew you were going to say that. That's why I was like, let me say this carefully. <laughs> where it's like hard for me to emote. Oh, yeah. So sure. I don't know if that's... Being it's exhaustion. Like, yeah, it's like hard for me to emote today. Anyway. I don't want to emote. Yeah, it's like... Um, I feel drained. Because sometimes I feel... I think it's just me protecting like... I'm like, I need to keep this energy mm-hmm. to be able to do all the things. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> so no sometimes. smiles. <laughs> no smiles for no you. Smiles, I've got an email man. to write. <laughs> How are you doing? No emotion for you. I've got an email to write. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little out of sorts. I'm a little tired. I just feel confused. I feel like I'm continuing to want to surrender and be slower, but it's not happening. I feel like this always happens when we declare that we want to slow down. Yeah, what the fuck? And then all of a sudden... And here I'm whipping around town. I'm like, what am I doing? I think there's like a, a fear around slowing down that starts to creep in Yeah, when we declare it. <laughs> yeah, but what is going on? <laughs> yeah, Krista and I had this like dream of for November and December... God. Really slowing down. Don't make me LOL. <laughs> Working on like a single project and yes. just going all in. And all of a sudden, our calendar. I looked at the calendar and I was like, oh, why are we doing eight things? Honestly. <laughs> I mean, truly, like, I feel so lucky with all the things, but there is something to being able to pour yourself into one thing. Mm-hmm at a time that we haven't done yet. I know. One I look day. forward to that. One day. Yeah, I think it's I think it's just also us being in this situation where we're so closely in relationship to technology, so mm. it messes up our time. We're going fast, we're going, you know, we're enveloped in all these things. It's like I don't know how to describe it, but I also feel like this year has like how is it October? Mhm. And there's an interesting relationship with time now. So it's like, what is going on with time? But I found my dress. So you guys, excited. I found my wedding dress. So LOL. excited. I'm the only bride on earth that didn't cry. <laughs> Literally, I found my dress and I was like, okay, this is, I'm ready. I'm not surprised though. You know why? And I don't mean that in a weird way. I just am like, it's right and it's good. You know why? Is I honestly have an aversion to crying when people expect me to cry. Oh, when people expect me to cry, I, I'm allergic to it. Everyone's looking at me, li- literally every person in the room, <laughs> staring at me, waiting for me to cry. Dude, and I'm like, no, wrap is, it up. How awkward is, is wrap that it up. whole process? Is it awkward? Is it fun? So, was it everything? Well, the first place I went to, you know, I was going to do a collab with. So I went to visit this place that's pretty popular and... It's like in a mall and everyone was looking at me trying dresses on, which was a torture. It was like strangers. And I was like, yeah, this is not the experience that I want. I just wanted to be more intimate. I wanted to be private. I wanted to be, to feel slow. Like I wanted to feel like, I think you want to feel special. For sure. And so we left that appointment and I think the girl was like a little alarmed too. She's like, cause I'm just quick. I try something on. I'm like, yep, no, yep, no, whatever. Don't, it's very clear for me. I'm not like noodling around. 
And then we went to this other appointment, which was kind of weird because the night before when we were in Laguna, we went to Laguna Beach for the weekend. My sister and my best friend from home came and my mom as well. We walked past this this bridal store and I was like, I want to go in there. And the mannequins were like rail mannequins and were like, oh, they don't have any dresses for me. Like talking about like how they were like against body positivity. We just were making jokes about it all night. That was the place I'd made my appointment with, which was hilarious. So I had my second appointment at this place. It ended up being, they have dresses for everyone, but it was just funny because the the mannequins were like these certain sizes. And what she does is she takes samples um, from designers and resells them. So they are designer dresses that are really expensive. I think between like up to 12,000 or something she had, but she sells them for like much cheaper. So I got my dress, you know, much cheaper than what would have normally cost a lot of money. And I knew I wanted to do something like that. I was like, I either want to wear a secondhand dress or I want to get like, I just wanted to do something like that. I was like, I would love to wear someone else's dress. I don't care. Like I care, but I don't. And so it was like the perfect situation where she had this like one-of-one sample dress that I was able to try. And it was the first dress I tried on of those. And, you know, with dresses, you're working... I was working between like a size 6 and a size 14. You're like going all over these sizes. My dress that I bought barely zipped up my back. Mm-hmm. It like zipped up to the butt crack. And we're just going to make it a little... I actually kind of liked it. Yeah, I oh, liked yeah. it. We're going to actually alter it so it's really super low. But... I mean, that's the whole thing. I wasn't really feeling... I didn't really care about body stuff, which mm-hmm. was fine. Which I, But I was acutely aware of the fact of like the whole goal. Most people buy their dresses with the goal to be a different size than what their dress is. But I first put on the first dress that I tried on. That was really my vision. It was like the vision that I had and the one I ended up buying... But because my sister and my mom and Caitlin were there, we had we tried on like 400 dresses. Totally. Everyone was picking out Gotta dresses. Gotta put on a show. They're like, this one would look good on you. This one, you know, has like thin straps that go off your shoulders that will make me look like a linebacker. Sure, I'll try it on. It was like, they, they're like, how about this like sleek modern one? Which... It, and it confused me. So I was trying mm-hmm. on all these dresses and it was really confusing me. Yeah. Because I'm like trying and they're like, oh, that's the one, you know, like da-da-da-da. And I'm just like, what am I doing? So at the end when I was like, oh, I'm going to get this dress. It was just like, okay, I'm ready to check out. <laughs> like I literally was like, okay, so I'm ready to check out She didn't now. say yes to the dress. You just And my mom ready. made me say yes to the dress. She's ah! like, are you saying yes to the dress? I was ah! like, yes, I'm saying yes to the dress. <laughs> LOL. Oh my God. I mean, I can just imagine that she was waiting for that that moment. Like watching 100%. that show, it's like a whole thing. It's amazing. Yeah, that I show's love the best. That. But I learned, yeah, it was just weird. I was like, oh man, I kind of feel ashamed that I'm not crying right now. I was like, oh, this is like such a perfect example of like how this whole process has been like mm. weird expectations. I'm like, oh, on my engagement, it was really mm-hmm. different. You know, like mm-hmm. that was, my engagement was beautiful, but it was also like, just this expectation and yes. then not. And then, you know, this situation where it's like, the expectation is like, you're going to be like, oh my God, I'm crying. I'm yeah. finally, <laughs> it's finally happening. Like, you know what I mean? But it's also just like, let's talk about expectations. Yes. And like, I, I think that's why so many of us walk around disappointed about a lot of things because we expect it to be one way and then it happens another way. I kind of like, I mean, I like that you were just, you just know and you move on. I'm ready to go. 
Yeah, I don't think it's... And I was right. I was like sweaty. I'm like, ugh, give these... All. And my dress. She's like, you want to try and sit in it? LOL. <laughs> my dress was tight as fuck. So I sat in it and I honestly... Everyone was like worried. They're like, um, are you sure? <laughs> I, I think I ripped the back. I literally was like, this is so fucking tight. Whatever. <laughs> Could barely sit. I mean, I don't even know how anyone sits in their wedding. My dress, to be honest, it's very tailored, uncomfortable. Tailored to a T. Everyone's like, I want it to be comfortable. <laughs> very uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm unable to sit, unable to move. I'm a mannequin. I'm a walking mannequin. I was like, oh, this is like not comfortable. But yeah, the the situation this weekend also was made me think about too this relationship or this um the mother relationship. And then, you know, the episode today, it's like how expectations just really fuck with you. Like yeah. with any relationship, like when you oh. have you know, an mm-hmm. expectation of them being different or them being more X or them being more, you know, Y or Z. And it's just always the root of a lot of our unhappiness is when we have these expectations made up in our head and we're either not communicating them or we're just like holding these people to a cons- uh, a standard, which essentially is like a control mechanism in our brain. And I've been thinking a lot about like different types of programming that we as a collective are working through, like narcissism and control is one of them. And how we have this control thing in our minds where we think that people should be different than they are. And there's this true, like letting go and acceptance of people as they are that, you know, I'll really go into today in the mother, in this mother episode. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think as we get older and we kind of like walk walk around the age that our parents had us and we're kind of like doing the things that we're preparing to do. It's just a very weird yes, mirror, you know? And I think like it's helped me and I, I haven't listened to the episode yet for today, but for me, it's like going into these conversations with my parents with more like curiosity and and almost as if like even though pe- people are like, well, your parents shouldn't be your friends. I'm like, I kind of have to like... I treat. I said I, in this episode, I treat them like strangers. <laughs> or that. I'm like... <laughs> I'm like, I treat them like dogs. <laughs> no. But yeah, I mean that like... I explain why, but yes, yeah. Yes, of course. It's, it's the recontextualization of your relationship in your mind so you can show up as the person mm-hmm. you are today. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was reading... Um, the last thing on that, I was reading, or I am reading, Getting the Love You Want, the one that Lacey recommended. And there's just this, this idea of how you bring your unmet needs into the relationships that you have, whether romantic or friends. And it's it's been interesting to think about that lately as far as just where I feel the most tied up in my like throat chakra or like my communication is like around those unmet needs. One of them is like, I never like really had a tantrum as a kid or never like freaked the fuck out. Wow. And I feel like that was a need. Mm -hmm. Like I needed to do that. And now in like relationships, whether it's like us, Mm -hmm. Sean, siblings even, or friends, it's like, there is that part of me that doesn't quite allow myself to like let it out because I'm like, I got to keep it together. Even though it's a safe space to do that in friendships yes. and in re- in my romantic relationships. So it's just that's like, a good in- one. it's interesting to it's think a good about. Realization. Yeah. That's like, a, it's interesting because that's like a feminine part to totally. be able to just like let a rip yes. and like not know. And I do that a lot in my life where it's like, I'll, I'll walk through 
in, this is like anxiety too, but in forward of what I think is going to happen. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to say this, but then they're going to say this and then I'm going to yes. say this so you don't. Yeah. But then, you know, it's like, I'm going to throw a fit and then they're going to be uncomfortable and then we're going to be like that. You know, it's that being in the place that you're not already. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So it's just really, it's really interesting to think about our relationship with our parents. Yeah. As it relates to everything. Yeah. And then I'm, <laughs> I'm doing this one because I know everything about being a mother. <laughs> I'm a mother of beautiful children <laughs> who love me and adore me. And I've learned a lot through my life. I have a feeling this is going to activate no. a lot of people. Yeah. I, you know, thinking and about I'm just that saying that jokingly that this really is about, and, and this really is about my relationship with my mom and my healing more so. And sort of, and I don't really go into a lot of detail. I don't really talk about a lot of the explicit like traumas part of our relationship, just out of respect for her, out of respect for the work that we've done. I really wanted to focus this more on the healing part mm-hmm. of it. So that's really what what this is. So I talk about a little bit behind our relationship and the ways in which that um, we are programmed to expect our parents to be different than they are. And then I talk through how I've healed this relationship. So how I've really come to the place where I feel um, liberated. You know, I don't feel completely healed, but I feel like it has been something that has been profoundly transformational for me. And that isn't anything that like controls me in a way where I'm, you know, I guess acting, I guess it's like that subconscious programming where you're acting out things that you're unaware of. Yes. Is really what it is. I've definitely, I've known you for what, almost five years, Mm -hmm. five years. Yeah, I noticed like Mm -hmm. when you were actively really like working on this a couple of years ago, I just, I definitely noticed a shift. Yeah. It's really cool. Yeah, it is cool. It's cool. Okay, so for anyone, you know, that you know or love that has, you know, needs support in their mother wound healing and their mother relationship healing, please share this with them. I would love to really start a conversation with this and really... I want to make people also feel less alone, that feel ashamed that their relationship with their mom is not the way that they wish it would be. So definitely share this with friends, share this with the women in your life. They deserve it. Truly. And just before we get into the episode, we wanted to tell you about our next new Paradigm Digital Workshop series with our friend, Josie Danielle of 11 Healing. She's doing a workshop on sound, energy healing, and she will be uh, sharing light language. Yeah, it's the best. We did um, the Womb Awakening Healing in Malibu at Calamigos Guest Ranch with like 24 women, I think was the max Mm -hmm. a few years ago. And light language is insane. It It is is so powerful. When we think about different vibrational frequencies, it is like a higher vibrational frequency that she's able to bring through her body to heal through sound. And it is so powerful. It's so activating. I felt like the womb awakening was actually incredibly healing for me with the mother wound too. So anyone that is really struggling with the mother relationship, I think light language is a beautiful way to heal. So you go through a guided journey with her, you do energy work, you have sound healing, and then she does channeling of light language through her voice. And it is stunning and powerful and beautiful. So with your ticket, tickets are just $44. You get this beautiful healing in two hours with her, and then you get the recording after to listen to at any time. Yeah. And 
Previous workshops that we've hosted are found at shopalmost30.com. You can purchase those there as well as workbooks and courses and downloadables just to support you in your evolution here for you. Um, Okay, let's get into this episode. We will uh, have a bit more for you on the other side, but again, share this with anyone that it would resonate with and help. Um, And you can always share on Instagram. It means a lot to us. We'll reshare at almost three zero podcast. And I'm at Lindsay Simsick. And I'm at It's Krista. We love you. We love you. Enjoy. Bye. Today, I've been in a really funky mood. I've kind of been quiet all day. And I'll feel like that when I'm really working through a lot of things that I want to share very publicly on Almost 30. So I know that I have a really deep episode coming when I'm really, really quiet. And I'm really just pensive. And I'm just trying to figure out how to do this the most responsibly, how to do this the most authentically, and how to have this mother relationship conversation with you in a way that feels helpful to you, in a way that feels supportive to you, in a way that makes you feel less alone, and also in a way that, you know, very candidly, where I can be very honest with you guys about the experience that I've gone through, but also be very respectful to my mom and to our relationship and to my family. You know, me in high school, I would have freaking... If I had a podcast in high school, I mean, bless. I would have... My mother episode would be fully loaded. It would be fully loaded and angsty. It would be unreal. But me today, you know, 32 years old, I've done so much work on this relationship and on myself and on healing um, the abandonment issues, healing the insecurity, healing the um, codependency, healing the narcissism, healing so much of the trauma that I've went through throughout most of my life in this relationship. And I really made you know this healing a priority. And I've always said that as I go into hopefully wanting a family someday and being able to have a beautiful family is one of my prayers, that I want to have this wound as best healed as possible. I don't want to have my baby. (laughs) I don't want to have my freaking baby treating me like I treated my dang mom when I was in high school. We had our issues for sure. So let me just say, this is for all the people that have always felt ashamed, you know, when they didn't have that beautiful nurturing relationship with their mom. Like I remember, I remember I was so bitter about people having great relationships with their mom in like high school, I would say. I remember this is a quote, you guys. This is a true quote. High school Krista said this. If you're best friends with your mom, you need more friends. <laughs> I used to say that. I was like, oh, she's best friends with her mom. What a loser. I'm like, she needs more friends. So bitter. I just felt like for so long, you know, my sister and I would really relate on this that I felt really cheated. I felt really sad. I felt really ashamed. I felt really guilty that I never had that beautiful, nourishing, supportive, open, loving um, relationship with my mom that so many people I felt had. I felt like when I was growing up, I'm like, oh, everyone is close with their mom. Everyone goes shopping with their mom. Everyone's mom, you know, supports them in everything they do. Everyone's mom is there for them. Everyone's mom cooks them beautiful, healthy dinners that they love and they're always there for them. And all of these things, I had these just ideas in my head through social, through media. We didn't really have social media then. 
But it was in through media, through movies, through, I don't even know what the fuck. I don't know where I got these ideas from, but I really had this idea that I was a failure and that I was, something was wrong with me and I was bad because I didn't have the relationship with my mom that I saw, that I thought I saw everyone else having. And I remember even, you know, in high school and college, it was sort of a theme for me where people would, I would be in female friendships and the women would almost feel bad for me. It was like, you know, people would feel like, oh yeah, Krista, you know, she's got that thing, you know, with her mom, she has this, this sort of relationship and they would almost look down on me or feel, and I mean, this is probably me projecting, but they would almost feel bad for me. They're like, oh, you know, she's got that thing. And so it, it made me just go further into this shame spiral of feeling like, oh my gosh, I am just the only one that feels alone. I'm the only one that feels broken. I'm the only one that feels like I'm so ashamed that I don't have a close relationship with my mom. And just for a little background, you know, too, just to open up a little bit about this and, you know, of course, being really thoughtful and mindful to my mom in this because, again, I want to make this more about the healing process than about any you know, pain displacement or any anything else that's not related to the actual process of my healing because it's not really fair for me to go into like full details about everything. But I grew up in a small town in Ohio. I've talked about this before. And, you know, when my mom had me and my sister, she was working most of my life. She's been working. She still works. Um, so we always had either a babysitter or a nanny or someone taking care of us for most of our childhood life. And, you know, this was normal for me. It kind of was like normalized. So we spent most of the majority of time with a nanny or babysitter for most of my life. And as we got older, um, it was just something that I was used to. I never felt like, you know, my mom was the person I wanted to go to if I scraped my knee or anything like that. And because of, you know, a lot of her mental issues, her mental health issues, she was really emotionally unavailable. So there was a part of her that because she was struggling so much internally was unavailable for the care for me and unavailable for, you know, the emotional support for me and unavailable for the just being the mom part that's really nourishing and that's really seeing you and supporting you. So when I was young, I would... I went through a phase when I was really little and I was actually really, really depressed. I had this really, really deep depression when I was very young. And, you know, through high school and college, it just became and turned into this relationship where I felt like never supported, never seen. I felt controlled. I felt manipulated. I felt um, all of these emotions that I never felt like I could fully express them with my mom. And I never felt like I could really, you know, trust her or really be myself with her. That was a huge thing where, you know, I learned actually from her a lot of the gifts I have and use through the podcast, which is asking questions, um, diverting the attention from me to someone else and listening. You know, I never felt like she listened to me. I never felt like I was seen. I never felt like she was really engaged in what I was saying or doing. So I'm a master of telling if someone is interested in what I'm saying or doing by reading their energy. And that's, you know, really a codependent thing where I'm just very, very, very cautious of that. So I can genuinely tell if someone is engaged, paying attention or listening. And if they're not, I can sort of turn it around immediately on them to keep them engaged because that was what I was doing 
as a young person to keep my mom interested and engaged in me was turning everything on her, asking questions about her, trying to keep her with me and engaged with me because I felt so alone and I felt like, you know, she wasn't interested if it wasn't, you know, about her. And a lot of the tendencies that I really went through are narcissistic tendencies. And, you know, I'm really thoughtful about that. And I've really come to terms with that through work at Onsite, through group therapy, and then also through my own therapeutic work in the in the last couple of years. And it's not full diagnosed. And that's that's a thing too I want to be thoughtful of is that, you know, there actually is a very low um, amount of people who actually are truly diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder. And that's around, you know... Seven to nine percent, and who knows how accurate those numbers currently are. And taking into consideration that half of those are probably men, not a lot of women are actually diagnosed with it. But there was definitely tendencies that were happening that were narcissistic that I was adjusting to as like a little, a little being, and I was learning to really figure out. And you know, for me, it was something that. I found incredibly infuriating and challenging and I would rebel against. So there would be points in time in my life where I would try and really get her attention and approval through, you know, getting really good grades in school, playing sports because she thought they were interesting, dating this person she liked and saying X, Y, and Z. So there were parts of me that were really seeking for her approval by doing you know, all of these things. And one could say that my deep desire and drive <laughs> in my life and this like hunger that I have for success and um, could be really definitely my inner child really, really wanting that approval. Who knows? Could be God. Who knows? But I really did, you know, use it in different ways. So there was the part of me that was really looking for her attention and approval because I never felt like she really saw me or validated me because of her own, you know, mental struggle. And then not really being around because she was working for most of our lives and and um wasn't really wasn't really there. And her and my father also really struggled in their relationship. So, you know, they were also sort of figuring that out as well. And then there was the part of me that rebelled. And the rebellion was really more so in high school when things were getting really hot and heavy at home with my parents' marriage. And, you know, there was some infidelity issues. There was some really deep issues and things going on that I I won't share here. But so that was my phase where it was like, okay, now I'm going to rebel completely. Now I'm going to sneak out. I'm going to party. I'm going to do all these things. And that was really my coping mechanism to not only try and get attention in a way that was seemed to be quicker because it was negative, but also it was like a differentiation technique. And what I think a lot had happens for a lot of us women is, you know, you grow up in your mother's womb, you are the baby. And that at some point through your, you know, evolution from being a very young baby to being older, there's a differentiation period that happens between you and your mom. And that's when it can be a little bit challenging. And that's when you can really, you really as a human are figuring out the differences between you and other. And that other is essentially, you know, your mother. It was very painful and it was very long and there was a lot of stories and there was, you know, different types of abuse and trauma that happened. But I never really thought there would be another side of it. And I've talked about this with my body acceptance episode and the healing that I've done around the body. But there was also, you know, the thread of the relationship with the body and food. And that was, you know, in addition to other themes growing up, that was a theme growing up really that I really was affected 
in seeing my mother's relationship with food and her body and applying a lot of those same principles to my young self. And that was seeing food as a threat, seeing the body as something that needed to be controlled and manipulated, um, seeing yourself as unworthy if you are overweight, um, always hating and being in battle with your body. That is, you know, continually striving to be smaller. That is um, valuing your looks over potentially valuing your voice. And so there was a lot of themes that really came up around body and body image within my relationship with my mother too that have also been something that I'm really working on unlearning. I, when I grew up, my one of my coping mechanisms was eating. <laughs> it's a fun one. So I would really find myself and soothe myself in food. But then, you know, I was a chubby kid doing chubby in quotes. So just, I have no other word for it, but I was a chubby kid because I was soothing my little self with food and um, that wasn't okay. So I was soothing myself, but then, you know, it wasn't okay that I was chubby. So we were, they were trying to figure out all these things and I was being compared to my sister who was actually very, very, very thin. She was very thin. She was very thin until, or she looks great now, but she just grew up being like, you know, I remember her going to college and being like 115 pounds, being 5'10", um, and never getting her period. She was almost so thin. So I was almost on the other side where I was this like awkward kind of using food for medicine rebel person that everyone was mad at in quotes because I was heavier. And um, a lot of, you know, that relationship was, I always was like, thought it was her fault. I was always so mad at her for it. I was always just like angry at myself for not only having these terrible relationship, this terrible relationship with me and food, but also so angry at her for giving it to me. So that was like another layer of it too, where I felt mad that she didn't pay attention to me, didn't love me in the way that I wanted, didn't see me. You see your parents' relationship and you see it from a very like one-dimensional view. And I'm going to do a full other episode on how the patriarchy influences our mother wound, but I want to do a little bit more research for that. But there was a deep patriarchal um, imprinting that was also happening with me being very young. And I always saw my dad as like the perfect one. I always saw my dad as, you know, the savior for my family. I saw him as you know, could never do us wrong. He just provided, he loved us, he was there. And I do love him very much. And he's always been someone that's very dear to me. But I also didn't really realize too that my standards were completely different for my mother relationship and then for my father. So on the one hand, I was expecting the world from my mother because we sort of had that martyr complex in our society where the mother needs to love us, care for us, support us, buy our clothes, make our lunches, clean the house, you know, be there for my father, be there for my sister, and just be all these things. And then for me, my, you know, my expectation for my father was really buy me ice cream once a week when we went out for ice cream and maybe fix my car when it was broken. And, you know, that was pretty much it. Like I just had these complete distortion within my expectations for what the family relationship unit was, what my relationship with my father should be, what my relationship with my mother should be. And so again, I'm going to do a full episode on the the patriarchy part that plays a role within the relationship with our moms because um, I think it goes so deep. And, you know, just quickly on that too for like a little teaser. But another thing where I really realized the the depth of the patriarchal programming was something I've been thinking about lately 
um, which is, you know, me in high school being the cool girl. And like my goal was to be the cool girl. And the cool, cool girl meant that I would essentially like shut down any feminine or like very too much, too girly parts of me. So that was not being crazy. That was not being emotional. That was not expressing how I feel, asking for what I want. That was really essentially molding myself and trying my best to be as much of a guy as possible. So it was like being chill, being laid back, being like just more like a guy watching sports, da 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 da. And I remember so much, it was in the the rhetoric of being a high school girl was to hate other girls. It was like, girls are lame. Girls are this. Girls are that. Girls are too emotional. Girls are drama. And not trusting women. And then seeing men as sort of like this safe haven for me to feel comfortable, expressed, relaxed, all these things because men were easy. Men were cool. Men were chill. And men were just, you know, something that was like, good and women were essentially not to be trusted. And you know, there's probably women that are listening that may have had that experience and and there's probably women that maybe, maybe haven't. But I do think that a lot of the, um, you know, the mean girl complex and the relationships that we have within high school with girls can a lot be traced back to the mother wound and our distrust for women, our distrust for being in deep relationship with women. And it really is that sort of competitiveness, distrust, fear, abandonment. There's a lot that happens that can really be exemplified within the high school story of girls that you know I want to talk about a little later. But to get back to so many of us in one way or another, whether it's uncovered or not, really have this deep wound where we feel this incongruence to the frequency of love that we want to feel and experience on our life on a daily basis. So when I think about the relationship with my mom and you know some of the things that I was doing when I was in high school and college that were really perpetuating this disharm- disharmonious frequency within me that was causing me pain and that was definitely I'm sure causing her pain as well was really wanting something to be different it's the same concept of insanity, which is doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So me wanting our relationship and me holding that frequency of wanting the relationship to be different than what it is, is not being present to the present moment. And essentially, it was me trying to control her because I wanted her to be and live up to this standard that I had in my mind, that I had made up in my mind, that I had gotten from wherever. So this sort of situation is essentially a lot of the control that we have and a lot of the issues that we have around control within our lives where we have this idea of what we want people to be, what we want our relationship to be, how we want them to act, how we want them to treat us. And this is a great way to drive yourself crazy. This is a great way that I personally drive myself, drove myself crazy where I would expect her to be different every time we would hang out. I would expect her to you know, call me and ask me how I was and care. I would expect her to do all of these things. And when I finally was able to let it go and completely say whatever it is, is, and really just be present with what is here now, that is how I was able to really let go of this disharmonious frequency that lived in me that is a frequency of control. 
And I think when we pull up and look away from the mother relationship to the macro, thinking about how much this frequency that I think we all have and that we're all working out of, of control, really keeps us out of the present moment. It keeps us in this holier than thou attitude where, you know, in my case, I was like, oh, she should be doing this. She should be doing that. Why do I have to do this? Why do I have to do that? And really, that's not my path. That's not my lesson. That's not my journey. You know, essentially, the path is compassion and love from like a boundary state in my case. So I really had to see my mother as she is and not as the person that I would like her to be. It was very painful for me when I had to accept and really let go of the hope that my mother may change and that one day she was going to wake up and be super loving and cuddly and be the mom that I'd always, you know, in my mind hope for. But as soon as I could accept all of those hard times and all of those really challenging times as part of her and really just seeing her for the person that she was, I was able to really start on my healing. Something else that really helped with feeling more compassion towards my mom and humanizing our relationship was also in conversations with her, my father, and even with mediums, with mediums who would bring me in contact with my grandmother, who is her mom. So firstly, talking about my mom and my dad, asking them more questions about how they grew up their relationship with their family, what it was like for them, learning more about their childhood to understand the places in which they maybe felt abandoned. They maybe felt that they weren't seen. They maybe felt scared. They maybe felt all these things. So I could really humanize their experience and have compassion more so for their experience. Because for me, for so long, I never thought about them as kids. They were always my parents. They were always older than me. And when you get older and you really realize that they were children once, they were kids once, and they had their own experiences instead of pains and traumas, you can much more deeply understand why they show up the way they show up and why they show up with the trauma they show up and how it really is a cycle of trauma that tends to happen. So my mother grew up um, and her brother who was born immediately after her was severely disabled. He was severely disabled. So she was a young kid that you know, was very, very young, maybe a year or so, um, a year or so. And, you know, as soon as her brother was born, all the attention was on her brother because of his disability. So she really was neglected in a lot of, a lot of sense and had to grow up very quickly, had to be the mother for her disabled brother, in addition to many other things and dynamics that were going on in the house. So me and understanding, you know, the depth of her pain and trauma and how she's never really had the opportunity to look at it has provided me a great foundation to have compassion for experiences like that. So I highly recommend making it a point to go in and understand the ways in which your mother grew up and how that could potentially lead to some of the decisions that have that happen later on in life. And you know, with letting go of the expectation of your mother, I really think that this is the very first and one of the most important. And something I really see I see in close relationships with people that I have in my life where people are still holding on to this desire and expectation of something to be different than what it is and it being something that deeply causes them pain. And this is where you can really, really lean into taking the power back in your life to release any of these expectations or any of this idea you have of who your mom should be and accepting them as they are. 
And accepting accepting them as they are doesn't mean you need to have a relationship. It doesn't mean they need to be your best friend. It doesn't mean you need to you know, go back to old habits or ways or be in a toxic situation. But it really is just full acceptance and surrendering to who they are and what they have created in your life for you to be who you are, as painful as it is. So there was part of my process that was really grieving. You know, I, I think through various means of the healing that I've done, there have been points in time where I was very emotional and sad for my little younger self, my sweet, sweet younger self who really wanted to be seen. She really wanted to be loved. She wanted everyone to have peace. She wanted overall, what I wanted was the healing for my mom. And that is something that I've been really working on You know, this past year or so is to let go of my expectation of healing for others and focus more on the healing for myself. Because again, that expectation is essentially a control mechanism that my brain has rewired and changed in a different way where it seems like it's out of compassion and love, which it is in a way, but it's also in a way that I'm trying to control other people by focusing so much on their healing. So you really have to decide, you know, within this letting go and within the evaluation of their past and the way that they grew up, you know, how you're going to show up in that relationship. So letting go finding compassion for their path. And then you can eventually you know, decide how you want to show up in this relationship that you have together. And this is something that I've had to do um, and something that's been really helpful for me after releasing all the expectations is to show up, decide how I'm going to show up in our relationship. And I've always said this and I never really understood what I was doing until I got older and understood the actual implications and context around it. But I used to say, <laughs> when people would talk about their relationship, I was like, I have to treat Um, my mom, like she's a stranger. I treat her like she's a stranger and it's been worlds. It's been so helpful for me. I treat her like she's a stranger. And it seems cold and it seems odd, but by, in my head, contextualizing her as essentially a stranger, I could show up in our relationship as the version of myself that exists here today and not as the version of myself that is the wounded traumatic child that exists or existed previously. And it really allowed me to work on my boundaries. It allowed me to respect her more and have more compassion because Krista Williams right here, here you are today, is someone that's done a lot of work, someone that's done a lot of um, therapy, someone that's done a lot of self-reflection. My life is literally self-reflection and a personal development work. And so taking all that knowledge and information into the relationship with my mom is one of the hardest things to do. You know, Ram Dass always says, if you think you're enlightened, go spend a week with your family, which is the greatest quote of all time. Because you could have all these tools, all these principles, all these things that you practice and live by, and then you spend a week with your family and all things seem to go out the window. So for me, it was I was much more able to bring all these tools and principles back to my relationship with my mom and practice them with her you know, together um, when I was treating her like someone that wasn't my mom. When I could look at her, not as the person that had wounded me or hurt me or you know, that I had probably heard as well, but really as this like new person, as someone that was her own being, someone that was her own woman, someone that was someone that had gone through lots of trauma and hard times in her life outside of me. And I could respect her so much more for that. 
So when I showed up to, when I showed up for holidays, when I got on the phone, um, if it was my mom in quotes, you know, and it was the younger version of me, the, the unhealed girl in me, it'd be like, oh, hey, okay, yeah. It would be like the attitude, it would be the shortness, it would be the expectations of, expectations of not being met. It would be, you know, this kind of like, belief that everything was just going to be bad anyways and that I would never feel seen or never feel heard. And so by going into it, by actually treating her like a stranger, I could say like, genuinely, like, how are you? How's everything going? And she could respond to me much more openly and, you know, in a more friendly way. And I could digest that information with the understanding that she is her own person now than she was when she was raising me. So... That also speaks to boundaries. So when I'm treating someone in quotes like a stranger that's close to me, it's also meaning much more so that I have better boundaries than I did being a codependent child with a, you know, in the relationship or situation that I was in. So I had to do a deep review of my boundaries when I was, you know, sort of coming to the understanding of this relationship. I previously felt like I had to... um be a certain person for her. I felt like I had to, I was responsible for her healing when she was, you know, going through hard times. I felt like it was completely my fault that I had to change for her to feel better, that I could make her happy, that it was something that I could take on the responsibility of doing. So I really had to review the set of boundaries I had with her at that time. So for me, it felt liberating. It felt freeing. It felt completely like something that I should have done a lot earlier. But I can imagine that for some of us, when we have a more enmeshed relationship with your mom, that it can feel um, difficult, that the boundaries can feel hard to make, that the boundaries can feel like the mother will push against them. And I have a really close friend here that lives in LA. And this year, she's done a lot of work in therapy. And she recently had to create more strict boundaries with her mother because her mother had her when she was very young. So this has been hard for her because they were almost friends. And so it's been challenging to sort of establish boundaries with someone that you see as a friend. For me, I found the boundaries to be liberating and I felt them um, to be freeing. So the experience of creating and setting boundaries can be different for you than it is the other person, but it really has to be the focus on your experience with the boundaries and the boundaries being something that is helpful for you and knowing that when you create a boundary that is helpful for you, it is also in turn helpful for them. I also learned to say no. I learned to say no when I previously would have said yes. So I used to say yes to multiple things, but what I would say yes to mostly that I can think about would be really going home for Christmas. I would go home every year and I would be miserable and it would be a really challenging, odd time. There's something interesting that that happens uh, for me around the holidays because it's been you know traumatic in the past. So I kind of get into this mode and um, something else I used to feel really guilt, really guilty and shameful about that everyone was having these beautiful, loving experiences around the holidays. And I felt really sad that I wasn't. But I've created the boundary where I no longer go home for the holidays. So I do spend time with my family outside of it, but the holidays are not something that are going to happen for me. I'm not going to um, go home for the holidays. So I learned to say no when I previously would have said yes and regretted it. And you know, as the beautiful Brene Brown says, you have to ask yourself, what's okay with me and what's now okay with me? So what's okay with me in high school, what's okay with me in college is very different than what's okay with me right now and the boundaries that I have now. And 
you know, the ways in which that I navigate our relationship now. And you always have to remember that you are allowed to set boundaries and you are allowed to express your needs. You are allowed to set boundaries and you are allowed to express your needs. And the boundaries came easy for me, but the expression of my needs did not. And that is something that I've much more so learned as I got older to be very vocal about the expression of my needs. You are as important as your mother. You are as important as your mother. So your your opinion and your feeling good does not have to be another martyr situation where we're going from mother being the martyr to you being the martyr. And you're able to really express what you need in that relationship and the boundaries that you have to have. We are all equal. Mother is equal. The daughter is equal. So you're allowed to express what you feel. Another thing that's, you know, if I'm if I'm numbering these, letting go of the idea of your mother changing and then I'm doing two boundaries. A third one that's been really helpful in the healing of this relationship, you know, the mother wound is sisterhood. So leaning into sisterhood has been incredibly healing. My beautiful mother friends and my beautiful friends who are not mothers now has been incredibly profoundly transformational. I realized how much I did not trust women until I was able and in relationships with women where I felt like I could actually truthfully work on that wound and work on and talk to and speak with that distrust. That's when I was able to really heal part of that mother wound because I was finally able to be in community with women with women that saw me, that loved me, that respected me, that were there for me. And I allowed that experience of beautiful female friendships to heal so much of that feminine, that divine feminine wound that I held. I mean, even thinking about, you know, my relationship with Lindsay, our beautiful relationship, and how the past years together has been incredibly healing for me in so many ways. But in one of the ways being healing that trust with women. I've had so many deep, beautiful female friendships. I mean, I have incredible friends, but there was a part of me that wasn't always being vulnerable, that always felt like I had to show up with the answers. I had to be perfect. I had to... I couldn't just like let my guard down. I couldn't be vulnerable. We could never fight. And I felt like everyone would either abandon me or they would betray me or all of these other issues related to trust. So through, you know, the evolution of Lindsay and I, we've had this like deep intimate soul connection that has really allowed me to trust women again, to be like, oh, when times get hard, you're not going to take love away from me. When times get hard, you're going to love me just as it was before. And you're going to seek to always see the good in me. And you're going to seek to always be there for me. And you're actually going to hear me. And all of these other beautiful things that female relationships really do to heal us. Women are seers. We are the healers of the world. And in sisterhood, we can truly heal. A core part of healing that mother wound is reconnecting with the sisterhood. So with other women, with the feminine. It's women being conscious of the self-talk we pass on to our daughters. 
So it's being really thoughtful about what we say around our kids, what we say around younger generations, and also being conscious of the social programming of our children. That women and little girls, they play in fake kitchens, they hold fake babies, they feed their babies, they bake fake cakes, and they're doing all of these things that are beautiful and amazing but also ways in which we are subtly being programmed to stay at home, be in the kitchen, have babies young, X, Y, and Z, while men are building. You know, they're in space. They're doing all these other things. So as we seek to really rise or lift women up, support other women, be in fierce female friendships that are loving and supportive with women, this is also a deep unwinding of the programming that we have to be competitive, to you know, see women as a threat, to see them as something that is not to be trusted and to see them as something that essentially could deeply wound and hurt us. Within my therapy experience in the past couple of years, I've really worked on aligning the ways in which I would feel that trust issue coming up in my personal life today. And then also going back to where I felt like I couldn't trust the love of my mom to not be conditional, where I felt like I wasn't being seen, where I felt like I had to be perfect, where I felt like I had to, you know, X, Y, and Z. And by aligning, you know, those times in which my little girl felt so scared, abandoned, um, unworthy to where that sort of trauma was expressing itself in my life today. And, you know, I heard a really beautiful example of um, what happens when we experience trauma. And if we think about our aura, we think about this like beautiful magnetic field that exists around us. When we have trauma on our aura that's unhealed, we're essentially looking at life through this trauma that lives on our auric field. So we have this distortion in our auric field that is our trauma. And then we're living out and we're replaying these traumatic experiences because that's essentially the lens through which our eyes are looking at the world through our aura. And I think that is incredibly true. And as we heal these experiences, then we're able to more clearly look through our aura and through the trauma that's now been healed and see our life from the the deeper reality rather than this distortion that lives on our aura. So sisterhood has been profoundly and incredibly transformational. And me leaning into it is important. Me actually being vulnerable, me saying what I feel, me having boundaries if I need them with in certain experiences and really just like learning to trust women more and trusting my gut more, trusting my gut too with who am I going to trust? Who are my, who is my close family of friends going to be and how can we all heal and support one another? And the fourth one is my favorite. And I think the one that has been the most deeply true for me after boundaries, after letting you know, your mother be who she is instead of who we want her to be and out of sisterhood as the healing modality is really leaning into the transformation that this relationship provides you. Leaning into the transformation that this relationship provides you. When we think about all of the challenges that we've been through, and I know that we can all sit here and think of a billion, especially in 2020. You're like, okay, that was Tuesday. So what do I think about Wednesday? <laughs> and if we think about all the challenges that we've been through, I know for myself personally, and I know for almost 350 guests that we've had on our show, 
that some of the most profoundly transformational experiences people have had have happened through these hard relationships and these hard times. So for me, on a personal level, the mother wound has been my deep opportunity for healing and transformation. And when we say transform, it doesn't mean, you know, removing or fixing the traumas or scars from childhood, but it really means about slowly developing this new relationship with what is difficult in your life so that it's not a controlling factor for you. So like I said at the beginning of the podcast is, you know, it's not something that I'm completely healed with. Same with body acceptance. I mean, honey, feeling it, feeling it today. It's not something I'm healed with. It's not something that, you know, I might ever be healed with, but it is something that I now learn to dance with and that now is now no longer a controlling factor in my life. I now feel liberated and I now feel free because I've leaned into how beautiful of a transformational technique this has enabled me to have. I have been able to more deeply understand the path and journey of my soul and to understand that I have taken this birth and this incarnation in order to go through this specific set of experiences through which I can awaken. So when I understood that, you know, as a soul, I chose this incarnation, I chose this relationship with my mom in order to get the certain set of experiences and to choose every time to look those experiences in the face, to say yes to those experiences, to even when they were hard, choose to experience them. And this was me getting older. This is me in my late 20s, definitely not my college and high school. But when I started to actually choose them, to understand them, to be with them, to sit with them, that these experiences have really helped me to awaken to the truth of my being, that these experiences have truly helped me to come closer to myself, come closer to source, come closer to the essence of who I am, and honestly, to heal the essence of who she is. So when I understand that life is truly about letting go, life is truly about unwinding all this programming that we have and really looking at the ways in which you know we've been... Uh, removed from love, that we've been removed from forgiveness, that we've been removed from divine source through a myriad of ways that that's really when I can understand what life is about and I can not be controlled by, you know, these experiences that I had. So when I truly understand that life is about these things, all of these places in which I find myself lost and I find myself alone are the places in which I've become free. So with my body acceptance, this was something that I had to completely face, that I had to completely look at, that I had to completely grieve. I had to face it and understand that I had issues. I had to completely decide that I was going to look at this. I had to um, completely grieve the fact that I didn't grow up with a beautiful home in which we had great relationships to our bodies. And I had to grieve that little girl that struggled for so many years. And then really I had to promise that I was going to face everything in that way and I was going to feel it all. And I was going to not wish my body looked a different way and be mad that it didn't. I wasn't going to continue to carry on these these control mechanisms through which I was trying to change my current situation. I was going to let go. I was going to be free. I was going to find healing in whatever way I could. 
And in the same way I did that is the way that I did, you know, with my mother, which was really understanding how I was programmed through, you know, society and culture and media to have these high expectations of my mother to um, expect our relationship to be a different way, to, you know, want her to treat me a different way. And in the same way that I did that with the relationship with my body, I had to also take a lot of that healing path over to the relationship with my mother. And so I had to really look at the ways in which I had been programmed. I had to really look at the ways in which, you know, I was ignoring the truth of of our relationship. And, and a lot of that meant I had to really look at myself and what I had brought into our relationship. And I'm sure that raising me was not an easy feat. <laughs> I am, I am. I've got a lot to say and I've always been someone that's been incredibly independent and incredibly passionate and boisterous and just I've been me for a long time in um in different types of situ- situations so I had to take responsibility too for the ways in which I was showing up in our relationship that definitely were traumatic for her as well and then I had to really just get honest in the ways in which I wanted to uh, heal myself, how I wanted to work on this, how I wanted to liberate myself, how I wanted to be with my future child if I could have a future child, and how I really was consistently doing the same thing, expecting her to be different, how I was consistently you know, wiggling around my boundaries, how I was in relationships with women where I didn't fully trust them and I didn't fully feel seen by them. And I was letting these like boundaries sort of slip with friends and then with her as well. And then the ways in which I wasn't really leaning into this as an opportunity for me to incredibly, as an opportunity for me to transform and heal and grow. And as soon as I was able to really take responsibility, to take action, to look at it truthfully and honestly, to grieve my younger self for not having, you know, the love and support that she really deserved and needed. Um, and then really focus on the ways in which I can show up now as the more healed self in our relationship has been profound. And you know, I think anyone that's close to me, that's been close to me for a very long time would would definitely be able to see how this has changed and how we've changed and how I've changed and how liberated I feel that I can love and respect my mom and have boundaries and still feel hurt sometimes and express myself and know that this was all meant for me to be a catalyst for my growth. And when I think about the law of one. And I think about the power of, you know, the teachings of law of one. I can remember that on a soul level, my soul loves these catalysts for growth and that my soul finds the deepest catalyst for growth within relationship with intimate family and friends, because that is the greatest mirror for our teaching. And I know that this is something that is challenging and hard and never seems like it ends and always feels hard. But I do know that there is an opportunity for us when we look at our stuff. And I know that 2020 has been the year of us looking at our stuff and then sometimes avoiding looking at our stuff. But there is such healing for us all when we really go there. So... My sweet angels, if you were all my children, I would hug you so much and I would listen to you and I would love you and you'd be seen and I would be... 
<laughs> oh my God, laughing at me thinking I'd be a perfect mom. That's another one. But what I was going to say is that when we all look at our stuff, we all give ourselves the opportunity to heal. We all give ourselves the opportunity to heal. You can use your family to try and get free of your own attachment to your life, to your existence, to your ego, and to your models of who you are even. So who you think you should be. And I will say again, this can be something that is transformational for your growth. So my my self-development junkies, my self-growth junkies, my spiritual junkies, this work is truly some deep-ass work. If you're up for it, it's worth it. Okay? I love you. I'm here for you. Um, I'm supportive of you. I believe in you. And I'm incredibly grateful for you. And I felt you know, extreme responsibility and gratitude for this episode. And I'm really thankful that I feel like I can just get on here and just look at some brief notes and really riff with you and share with you honestly and openly. Um, it does not go past me at any time that I am here with you today talking about this. So please don't ever think that. But you are not alone. You can do this and I'm here. I'll see you next time. Thank you so much, Krista. <laughs> Thank you so much, me. That was that was really powerful, <laughs> super powerful. If this uh, if this really pierced you in the best way, please pass it along to a friend, family who you know could use a bit of support in their mother wound healing. Yes, enjoy and send to friends for sure. And I'm always here. It's Krista on Instagram. She's at it's Lindsay Simsick. And then we're so excited. We'll see you at our next workshop with Josie from Eleven Healing. It is going to be a very healing experience with light language, sound transmission, energy work. So for two hours, $44, you get the deepest transformation. I've healed with her many times and I highly recommend it. And then you can go to our shop. So shopalmost30.com for all of our workshops, apparel, all of that good stuff. And thank you to our sponsors for today's episode, Olipop. Drops, BetterHelp, Issue, and Tempo. You can find all um, discount codes in our show notes as well as on our website. As always, these brands are ones that we love and use ourselves. If you have any questions, DM us at Almost30Podcast. Thanks for listening. Yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.